back to another episode of the King's Pulse Podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brandon Nunez. Bryant West back on the show. I like this. I like this. Back consistently, two episodes in a row. How's it hey. going, Bryant? Hey, it must be college basketball draft season. It I'm here. Must be. <laughs> I'm excited. We watched uh, two very fun uh, physical prospects uh, this week um, who will likely be either at the beginning or around Sacramento's draft range, uh, assuming the Kings don't jump into the top four. So uh, it's pretty fun to uh, dive into some dudes that uh, I hadn't gotten a ton of chance to watch during the college basketball season. So uh, let's get talking about uh, Tari Easton and Jalen Duran. Yeah, as much as I had fun doing Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith on the last one, there is something about diving into guys that I just don't understand very well initially at the beginning of the process and it's just so fun I guess just different to me to actually get to spend the time of like learn someone's game kind of starting from nothing to be honest like I'm not somebody that watches college basketball just because there's a game on or something I watch four prospects and start at you know pretty late in the season and then get caught up at a later point so it was definitely me getting familiar with these guys and like you said today's plan Tari Eason uh, LSU and Jalen Duran, and we're gonna start with Tari Eason here. He is a very interesting player um, for these guys, because, like I said, I mean, for myself, I didn't have a great understanding of these guys. I would imagine that less listeners understand who these guys are compared to Chet and Jabari, so probably do a little bit more basics of background and, and give people an idea if they haven't seen him. Um, Tari Eason is six eight. And he just finished playing his sophomore year at LSU, where he averaged 16.9 points, 6.6 boards, 1 assist, 1.9 steals, and 1.1 block. Uh, Monty McNair, the stocks guy, apparently, so take that for what it is. 52% from the field, 35% from three on 2.4 attempts per game, and 80% from the free throw line on 5.7 free throw attempts per game. Bryant, like where where do you want to start with Tari Eason? Uh, I think when it comes to Tar, you gotta start with the defense. Um he's uh like you, I didn't watch a ton of LSU games during the uh middle of the season, so I'm kind of just catching up now that all the games are done. And man, I was just overwhelmed by uh how exceptional a defensive prospect he is. He's probably been my favorite dude to watch so far this year on defense. Uh, aside from Chet Holmgren. Um, he's also pretty versatile on offense, uh, really flourished at LSU this year. Uh, but, I mean, end-to-end, he just plays full throttle almost all the time. Um, his aggressiveness and confidence just can't get turned off, which is a double-edged sword considering his current skill set. But when you watch a dude play that hard on the defensive end, and, you know, you talked about his uh, his overall numbers – but when you look at him per 36, 2.9 steals per 36 minutes, 1.6 blocks, uh, an insane 6.2% block rate. Um, I mean, his combination of 4.5 stocks per game is better than any projected first rounder besides Chet, Mark Williams, and Walker Kessler. Um, so this is a dude who just makes stuff happen on defense. And he came off the bench all year, aside from four games in the middle of the conference season. He was the SEC's sixth man of the year 
but also made the all SEC first team. Um, he was fifth in total minutes played for LSU, but he led the team in points, field goals, and blocks, and was second in rebounds and steals. Um, so it's a really kind of unique uh, season for him. But when you just watch any tape for 10 minutes, you can see why teams are suddenly considering this dude a, a late lottery prospect. Definitely somebody that's risen from where they were at at the beginning of the season or even months uh, a month before the his sophomore season uh concluded when he was at LSU like just has climbed so much and like you're saying I mean a 68 220 guy that has that sort of combination of strength and athleticism and being very fluid and defensively I think what stood out to me the most is like just switchability which obviously is going to come with everything that I just laid out there in his athletic build, but also, I mean, so much of defense is, is effort, and that's never a concern with Eason. If anything, sometimes maybe it's a little too much, like you were kind of hinting at a little bit there that we'll get into, but it's the switchability for me. Like, I um, don't like to go to positions as much as maybe I used to. I, I'm kind of subscribing a little bit more to this positional basketball terminology but I think defensively is where like big difference between a four and a five right yeah and to me uh, I think Eason is a four uh, not that he can't be the five but I think he's his best defensive talent to me is on the perimeter rather than like being asked to be the rim protector of a team uh, I would agree with that um I don't think that if you ask him to go in there and be the uh, end all of your rim protection, that that's a great use of his skill set. But I mean, he's just the complete package. Six uh, eight, like you said, plenty of explosiveness, uh, just a, an incredible amount of fluidity for his size and strength. Uh, super aggressive. I thought he was a really smart defender, both on and off the ball this year. Um, really quick to close at passing lanes. His help defense is uh, incredibly quick. He covers ground so damn fast and takes good looks away. Um, LSU played incredibly aggressive press defense all year, and Tari played perfectly into that, um, kind of as a free safety of sorts. But I also do trust his on-ball ability, especially, like you said, on the perimeter. I'm so very comfortable projecting him in space at the next level. Um, he can flip his hips super quickly, kept his balance with a ton of SEC guard opponents. Um, I think he's just going to be a chaos factor on defense while also being a pretty damn good on-ball defender. Yeah, and, you know, I feel like typically it's difficult to be confident that a guy is going to be a good defender when you're not talking these outliers like a Chet Holmgren or um, Evan Mobley or Onyeka Nkongwu fell into that. Like, uh, I know we were both really high on Isaac Okoro, but like for a guy that's probably in, I don't know, second half of the lottery or we'll see where Eason ends up because I think there's going to be a decent bit of probably a pretty big tier of where yeah. he could uh, arrange for him. Um, but to have a guy that like 
I agree with you. I feel confident is going to be a very impactful defender, not just a good defender that like holds his own. Like I think he's a playmaker on the defensive end. Um, and it's extremely valuable in today's NBA. And it's certainly not a nothing on the other end either. Although maybe it's where things are a little bit more complicated. Um, am I overhyping my, like a, Am I believing too much in it translating to the NBA? The his um, defense. I I think that anytime you talk about a prospect at this level, um, even when you and I are saying, "Man, he one of the better defensive prospects we've seen in that kind of lottery range this year," um, it, it is key to note that every single dude who's not Evan Mobley takes more time to transition on defense than we ever expect. Um, and I'm sure the speed of the game is going to take Tari uh, a, a while to catch up to. But in terms of just projecting that transition, I mean, it. I would be very surprised if he is not at least a decent defender by the end of his rookie season. And it may be quicker than that because he's just a dude who – his his innate ability to know and ha- know how to help on defense, uh, how to stay in front of Kentucky guards, Alabama guards, switched at a moment's notice. I, I just was as impressed by him as I have been from a a six eight power wing uh, in, in at his skill set. So, yeah, I mean, it was kind of difficult not to be. It's a guy that going into it i think uh you definitely got a head start and we're the one that recommended we do tari and you told me mm-hmm. i would love watching him and <laughs> you were very right um you know and typically if you're saying that you and i have similar taste i think yeah very very similar in basketball so i knew it would be a good one and it did not disappoint on the defensive end uh going through tari eason when it comes to his fit with the kings on the defensive end it's pretty much everything you could ask for no without being some ridiculous like again chet holmgren or yeah i I don't not trying to hype up tari as like defensive player of the year type thing or anything like this like he's not coming in and making you a good defense when you're you know the king's sitting at what 26 27 this year Mm -hmm. and that's a significant improvement from being worst in the league like they were the season before like i don't think tari comes in and fixes everything but I think he's a step in the right direction. Like Harrison Absolutely. Barnes is a maybe. Well, Harrison Barnes is slowed down, but I think Harrison Barnes was somebody that was viewed as like a plus defender. But I don't think he makes you a better defense. I think he can just be part of a good de- defense, and I think Tari yeah. improves it. Look at in the Kings range, assuming they don't jump into the Chet Holmgren or Jabari Smith range. I can't honestly say that there's a dude I'd trust more to impact this team's defense more than Tari, aside from maybe the dude we'll talk about in a little bit. I think that's a uh, discussion at least, but like I trust Tari Eason on the defensive end decently more than I trust Keegan Murray. And that's not to say that Keegan Murray's defensive stats aren't pretty damn good for a dude at his offensive usage rate, but Tari Eason was just a totally different uh, defensive event creator. Um, Like you said, it's not going to change the Kings overnight, but it's a step in the right direction. It's a player at a defensive position that they 
completely and utterly lacked this year. Um, so uh, if you're looking for defense, I think that he's going to be the most interesting dude in the Kings range. Um, we should talk about his the the clear and obvious weakness when it comes to his defense is uh, his foul trouble. Um, to a certain extent, after watching a bunch of tape, I don't really care about his foul rate as much. Um, LSU's defense was just so naturally aggressive and relied on Tari being this elite defensive playmaker that he is. So I think they were fine with it for most of the year. Um, does that mean he needs to learn more defensive discipline at the next level? Absolutely. Um, does he have a bunch of silly fouls at LSU? Absolutely. But I know you agree with me here when I say I'd always rather have players have to learn restraint than have to learn to be more aggressive on defense. Um, we use that logic all the time when it comes to passing and, and advanced playmaking. I just want to see my defenders take chances if they have the skill set and the tools. And I really think Eason does. Um, so Very clearly gives a damn. While he's out there. Yeah. You never have to question that. <laughs> and that's something that I, I think is lacking a lot with the Kings, sadly. And that type of stuff is infectious. You know, like I think the Rashawn Holmes isn't anywhere near like it, they're not the same defenders in any sort of way. But I think when you think of like a guy that you see is busting his ass while he's out there and maybe it's just like, OK, you could calm down a little bit. And that's why maybe getting in poor positions and in foul trouble. Like it almost reminds me of that slightly again, very mm -hmm. different defenders, but in the same like crazy amount of effort is probably leading to a couple more whistles than, than you would like to see. Um, and, and that's something that like genuinely was taking Taris and out of games throughout this season. Like he's fouling out of a, a handful of games. I don't have the exact amount of time. I do. Uh, he fouled out of he fouled out of six of the thirty three games this year, um, three straight games he fouled out. Uh, February twenty third against Kentucky, he played thirteen minutes and had five fouls. Uh, February twenty sixth against Missouri, he played twenty minutes, fouled out. Uh, and then March second against Arkansas, he played eighteen minutes and fouled out, and still had twenty four points and seven rebounds. So. Only one of those games was a game where foul trouble just absolutely kept him from contributing meaningfully on the floor. So um, definitely needs some discipline, but again, it's really hard to separate what LSU was doing on defense with his defensive intensity and mistakes there. I don't think that we're going to look at him. Boy, this is a deep cut. You're not going to remember this guy. Jason Thompson's foul trouble uh, when he was a king was just so constant and and destroyed so many games for him. Uh, and I know a whole bunch of Kings fans are just going to remember that and be like, oh, we really don't want to do that again. But I think that, like you said, I don't care so much. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'd rather have that dude be that aggressive and that much of a defensive playmaker and try to fix it with a smart coach who tries to slow him down just a tad. Totally. Um, last thing before we move on from his defense. Well, I guess rebounding should be acknowledged. Um, oh, yeah. But he's a good rebounder. He's a forward. Like, he's playing alongside another big man. So his rebounding numbers mm -hmm. are not going to be 
ridiculous when you're looking at what he did at LSU. Again, 24 minutes a game, and he's pulling down 6.6 of them with just 2.3 of those being offensive, 2.3 of, again, 6.6 on average per game. Um, I don't think that he, like, pops as a rebounder or anything, but in either way, like, you're never like, oh, this guy got beat, and you're noticing it very clearly, or, like, he he pops, I, I guess he does have some boards because he's so athletic and active that do Mm -hmm. stand out but I don't know that I think of him as a high level rebounder but also not a negative rebounder like I think for his size and archetype he's a solid rebounder I'd agree with that um I will say that he's not a dude who's going to get boxed out without a fight uh but I also don't think he's going to come in and um be second on the Kings next year in rebounds um but again, it, it's just a step in the right direction there. So. Yeah. Last question I have here on defense, and I think Tari's a guy we probably end up spending more time on defense than offense. Well, we'll see how it goes, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, when we talked about Chet, and I think this is the question if you're talking about a forward that you're pairing with DeMontis Sabonis, is that is there an ideal answer to which one of them, and let's say in this one it's Tari Eason and DeMontis Sabonis, is the one guarding the pick and roll? Like, because when it's Chet, uh, like we talked about in the last episode, I kind of think like if you're not having Chet guard the pick and roll, you're yeah. taking away one of his best skills. Mm-hmm. Tari, uh, I mean, we just didn't see it all that much at LSU, right? They're very switch heavy. Um, mm-hmm. There's moments, but you know, do you think that it's a pretty obvious fit there? Like to me, I think it's good to have Sabonis involved in the pick and roll rather than having like weak side responsibilities and having to get out to the perimeter to close out. Um, and meanwhile, Eason can have Sabonis's back when he's in the pick and roll and be that like weak side rim protector mm-hmm. who can close out hard and, and be on the perimeter when he needs to be. No, I agree that it's not as clear cut a, a decision as chat is just because Chet's ridiculous size just makes it so much more obvious. Um, and while Tari did play some small ball five at LSU this year, that's not such an immediate translation for me. Like he's he's probably got a plus seven foot wingspan, but he is six eight. Um, I agree with you that the ideal there is more of a balance but there's no way that teams aren't going to try to hunt Sabonis in the pick and roll more than uh you know Tari once he's got a year or two of experience in the league so um it's not a clear-cut answer but I will say that I am excited to see Tari play more uh pick and roll coverage at the next level because he's just got the quickness and the defensive instincts I think to be pretty dang good at it Definitely. I think there's reasons to buy it. And I guess outside of the Kings, just in general, do you think that, just quick hitter here, do you think that there's teams that will try to play Tari as a five in the long term and view him that way? Uh, boy, I would hope his future team doesn't just say, yeah, we're going to box you in as a five. Um, cause but could you see it? Could I see it? Yeah. Um I, I just wouldn't love it. He's yeah. he's not that tall. He would be. It, it's the Rashawn Holmes case. Uh, uh, and, and to be fair, I think he's probably a little bouncier 
um, and explosive than Holmes. But if that's the dude you're asking to be your five man, even if he is a very good, versatile defender, you're still limiting yourself against a third of the league in terms of dudes who are just going to overwhelm with size. So, Yeah, I'm definitely with you. Um, Okay, going to his offense. Um, I think let's start with the three-point shot. He has a lot of intriguing aspects to his offense all around that we'll get Mm -hmm. to here, but I think I'm going to start with the three-point shot because we know what he's going to be on defense or not know what he's going to be, but I think I have a decent idea. I feel confident about him on the defensive end, and offensively there's a lot of flashes, but you don't know what actually is going to click. At least that's kind of where I'm at. But if the three-point shot is working and he's a plus defender, fits that typical 3 and D mold that is just instantly very valuable in the NBA and honestly what the Sacramento Kings need from a 6-8 guy that's a a 4 who is a 3 and D player and in his season final season a sophomore year at LSU his catch and shoot numbers are pretty solid it's it's 35% from deep in the entire season on 2.4 attempts per game but Unguarded catch and shoots. There's not all too many, but he's in the 84th percentile. Mm. Overall catch and shoots, the 76th percentile. That's 38th in guarded. Um, I don't know that he has like the quickest release or anything no. like that. I would say very um, much so. Little funky. I, I came to realize that like there was a massive rework of his shot at some point mm-hmm. um, in the process of him getting to where he's at now. But you know, it goes in at at very least like a okay rate right like if you just had to simplify it of will he be an okay spot up three-point shooter do you have faith in in Tari Eason to be that at the NBA uh I do have faith that he'll find a way to at least be an average shooter uh, do I have faith that he'll be more than that not especially but it's hard to ignore the numbers like you, you mentioned his shooting stroke. Uh, it's definitely been reworked, um, but his new form, even if it's pretty dang consistent, it, I mean, he's got super long arm prospects, and we all know how um, some dudes, when they just have their arms are so damn long, it's, it, it's a lot longer release point. And his reworked shot kind of just looks like he's shooting the ball um, – out of one of those old medieval catapults. Um, but he does, yeah, he does it off his shoulder. Um, like you said, it's a obvious, apparently a reconstructed shooting mechanic since he got to LSU. Um, and the numbers across the board sure indicate it's working. Like he was an 80% free throw shooter this year. So it's not like he's a dude who just shot 40% from three, but 60% from the line. And we have to go on faith. Um, and it's it, almost it, six free throws a game. Yeah. Um, now, his shooting volume isn't high enough to where I'm comfortable saying that it that he's got consistency here. Um, 411 scoring plays in the half court last year. Only 92% of them ended up being jump shots. Um, like you said, catch and shoot numbers are pretty dang good. Uh, in some of the highlight reels, he's just – doing off the dribble three-pointers like anybody who wants to go believe in Taris and just go watch the Alabama the at Alabama game I watched this morning because oh boy that's a a shooting uh game for Tari if I've ever seen one but um 
didn't take many mid-range shots. Nearly 80% of his jump shots were from three and 50% of them were closer to the paint. Um, so the numbers are there. The volume is somewhat not there, but it's promising at the very least to the point where if I think he's going to come in and suddenly be teams aren't going to zero in on him on offense as like this dude, they have to pay attention to at the very most. I'm going to say his relative ceiling on offense is just going to be a fourth, fifth guy who makes his value on the other end. So as long as he hits average, slightly above average deep shooter for his position, heck I'm, I'm perfectly wonderfully happy getting that in the uh, mid to late bottle. Definitely. Um, I started with this three point shot acting like he's just a basic three and D spot up player on the offensive end and does what he, what we walk through on defense. That's definitely downplaying it, but it's just more of like at very least I see that as working again, because of what he's going to bring on the defensive end of the floor, that if he can yeah. hit spot up threes, that's enough, but there's, a lot more flashes than just that sort of game on the offensive of Atari. You mentioned some of the off the dribble shooting, which I'm extremely skeptical of. I gotta say, uh, go watch. But if you haven't watched it yet, go watch that at Alabama game. <laughs> I will get to that actually after before the end of the day here. Um, part of him being able to cr- create space for himself and, and shoot off the dribble is creating space by having a decent handle. Um, yeah. I don't know that it's a phenomenal handle or anything, but like for a guy that's six, eight, it's really good. And I'm still kind of playing with what does that mean? Cause I saw that wording a lot and I agree. Um, is he, I don't know. I, I still think there's an aspect. I'm very skeptical of big man handles translating to the NBA. And I do really like Tari's. I think it's better than like what a typical big man handle is, like maybe the next guy that we're going to talk about. Um, but, yeah, I mean, what sort of level of driver and creation when it comes to his handle did you see from Tari? Well, for me, I understand the skepticism when it comes to big man handles because there's just there's so many um, bigs who flash at least a decent handle in college. And then it just, they come into the league and point guard and smaller defenders are just like, I'm going to just swipe that out of your hand. For me, it's more the fact that he is a very promising score across the board, more just hints at versatility for a dude. Like I said, I think is going to be a fourth or fifth option on offense. And at that point, it's more about the versatility than the expectation of consistency from it. Um, cause like you said, I'm, I'm, I think he's got a pretty strong handle for his size, um, and his, his full tool set athletically just let him either blow by dudes or just power through them to get to the line 5.7 attempts per game. When he gets going downhill, he's pretty tough to stop. And he does have some pretty major highlights creating on the perimeter against bigger defenders. So the versatility on offense isn't just as a, a spot-up shooter and an energy scorer. Um, it's clear he's worked on that ball-handling ability for uh, a decent amount of time. He could have some real grab-and-go ability at the next level, but, I mean, 
to me, the concern wasn't so much the dribble. It was when he did get to the rim because he was pretty middling in the half court. Um, 55% scoring on non-post-up attempts around the basket, 56th percentile. So for all his run and jump athleticism, he's not exceptionally fluid once he gets into the paint. And I think that that shows up most on those drive attempts. Definitely. I think that stands out as something that we're probably going to end up having the same conversation with or similar conversation with Jalen Duran. Uh, yeah. Finishing like the number sounds fine of 55%, but contextualized with a six, eight guy that like you're saying has his strength and athleticism and, and build and frame and like an okay handle that he's working with. Um, you would like that to be higher when, when you're talking at, at the college level. Um, if you're okay with it, I think we'll do a little, I'll explain to me what Tari busting looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, and tell me if you have any disagreements with what I say, but if not, okay. then maybe you can present the, uh, what his boom looks like, what his ceiling looks like. Okay. So to me, um, defensively, I don't know if there's much I can take away. Like, I think Tari Eason is going to be an impactful defender in the NBA. Um, if you want to say a downside, it's that he's never able to, like, calm down a little bit and that he is constantly in foul trouble. Like, again, um, I, I guess you could say, like, Damian Jones. Uh, again, very different players. I'm not trying to compla- compare the their styles of play, but, like, you're a positive but defender, but sometimes you just have to go sit down because you're in foul trouble. And I guess that's the downside on defense, but to me, more so, if Tari Eason is the low-end outcome that what him being a bust for his pick looks like to me is just he can't keep up on the offensive end. And it doesn't matter that he's doing what he's doing on defense because the shot doesn't end up falling at the NBA level. Like the growth is really impressive and you see across the board, right? Because Mm -hmm. freshman year at Cincinnati, again, 24% from three on 1.3 attempts per game, 57% from the free throw line on two attempts per game. It's only seven of 29 throughout the whole year. So take that for what it is. Um, And then that for that to jump from 57% of the line to 80% from the line on more than double the amount of attempts, more than, I'll say like quadruple the amount of attempts there. Um, I see the reason to believe, but I think that to me, what Tari Eason being a bust looks like is that he just is ignored on the offensive end. And I don't know that I, like, I would bet against that happening. I actually kind of view Tari weirdly as this guy that's like a high floor, high ceiling. Like, I know we said that same wording for Jabari, but it's not to the same extent, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I think that's like kind of absolute worst case scenario for Tari. I would be shocked if that happened, to be honest. I, I think when it comes to even if, say, the shot isn't falling, and he, but he's an okay driver. Um, and, oh, we didn't mention his passing, actually. You know, the, the passing numbers don't look great. One assist per game and 2.2 turnovers. I thought that there were moments that... I was like, yeah, that was that was something, you know. Yeah. I don't I don't know that he's an initiating an offense or anything, but I thought he was a good decision maker, and sometimes had an aspect of like trying things. But I'm like, oh, I like that you saw that, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, 
yeah, I think where, I think that kind of I kind of think that speaks to um, where his aggressiveness really comes out because he's not a dude who's just aggressive in the framework of his current skills. He's a dude whose aggressiveness shows up in those secondary skills that he's clearly trying to develop. Um, like he whips a smart pass every now and then. It's just not consistent and not as often as often as not. It led to turnovers. Um, he does have a borderline case of tunnel vision. To me, that's the biggest area of offensive growth. He can get stuck on autopilot as a dribbler and miss doubles coming at him, but as often as not, he could figure out where the ball needed to go. So it's definitely something he needs to work at. He's um, it. He's he's it. It's definitely something he's got to get better at. It's not something I'm in overly concerned with because I don't think his role at the next level will will be so much that he's getting doubles thrown at him. And I think there's a real chance that suddenly we're looking back at him like, wow, he's making good passes here. Um, but, you know, it, it, he needs to prove it. Um, Where now, in terms the, of the his floor that I presented, I think that floor is realistically a bit scary because you know, like I said, his volume as a shooter is just not there to prove anything more than his free throw numbers, which in a way has been shown to be one of the most important numbers for a shooting prospect coming into the NBA. 80% is 80%. Um, that all said, this is the first year that scouts have really gotten to see him be a average or better shooter. This isn't, he didn't like, he wasn't a great shooter in high school who just had one really bad year at Cincinnati. This is clearly a growth for him. Um, so suddenly he comes in and teams are just like, no, you're Mo Harkless. I'm not going to worry about you on offense. And that's is the last a, thing the Kings can have. Yeah, that's the last thing the Kings can have. Um, so I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that he is the, highest floor player his defense sure is i think he is a better defender than mo harkless um better defensive prospect than mo harkless mo harkless probably a better defender at this moment um but i just see enough on offense where i think okay he's going to be versatile enough that teams aren't going to just be able to take away his shot and figure he can't do anything else i'm with you i i think that in my mind, I was like presenting like what I see as like absolute worst case scenario. I think that if I was giving like my expected, realistic, whatever wording of low end outcome of Tari Eason, it is a player that's like fine on offense. He's maybe slightly below average, but he's not just nothing out there. Like I, I think yeah. that he's a fine three point shooter. Like you know, worst case, are you talking like Chemezi Metu on offense? Like. No, I, don't know. I, th- I I think his floor on offense is higher than Chemezi's. Um but yeah, I get it if if people disagree on that. So, so what does the ceiling of Tarisen look like? Um, the ceiling is the off the dribble stuff is real. Um, he figures out how to drive with more success at the next level. His playmaking gets unlocked. His aggression leads to him just figuring out so much more on offense 
Um, and suddenly he's the third best scorer on a really good team and the best defensive event creator a really good team could ask for. Is he ever sniffing all-star conversations? And again, we're talking like absolute ceiling. Absolute, again, absolute ceiling. Same same way I presented like to me what the floor is. It, not that I would necessarily bet on. I don't know. All right. I, 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 I'm going to hate making this comparison because this is the number one comparison you don't ever freaking make for a guy because this is the most insane growth we've ever seen from a college player. I watched a decent bit of Kawhi Leonard at San Diego State, and every once in a while I just was like, wow, that looked like Kawhi Leonard to me at San Diego State. So, Yeah, it's funny. Um, you sent me a clip. And you put in all, all the Kings Herald Slack. Actually, it's so Kawhi Leonard. Like he, I think you. Even, I don't know if you titled it or if I it did. was already that way. Yeah, the yeah. claw. I'll, right? I'll explain this clip just so that people can understand what we're talking about. Um, he's coming over as yeah. He's coming over on help defense behind a dude, and he gets his hand on the ball around a guy, and just holds onto the ball so much so that this dude who has a straight line to the basket the ball just gets ripped out of his hands and immediately saw that. I was like, that's what Kawhi Leonard did to uh, Ben Mclemore many years ago. So, yeah, yes, definitely. And I'm with you. I, you know, like Jalen Brown is a, is a guy that comes to my mind a lot when I'm doing comps, not Tari Eason, but like in general, or you hear like people say Jimmy Butler for again, not Eason or just players in general of, you know, I've heard that like AJ Griffin, for example, or, Kawhi Leonard I get lost with comparing people to guys that were even if they didn't win the award right there in that conversation for winning a most improved player at some point in their career because they had some outlier growth yeah that you can't just bet on in a prospect but it's one of those like okay everything else is there and there's flashes so like what if it does work you know um Tari Eason good fit for the Kings are yes. you like a little questionable or I'm with you? If if the number one concern is the shooting, because if that shooting doesn't hit, the Sacramento Kings just use their number one off-season uh, off um, uh, trading chip on a non-shooter. Um, and this team can't afford that. So they literally can't. As much as you and I want literally them to be cannot. a not-shit defense, they have to. I, I think it's more important that you don't, like get lost where you don't have any strengths anymore on your team because you're trying to cover your weaknesses. Like they have to be a really good Mm -hmm. offense. Yeah. So I'm going to understand if Monty McNair passes on Taris and, um, but the flashes are there where I really, really hope his scouting team makes a serious, seriously considers because, um, even Taris realistic outcome is pretty damn good for what this team is. I am with you. I ended up liking him a lot more than I think I liked the idea of who I understood him as beforehand. Um, I, a lot more. Like I told you he's he's Robert Woodard. He's Robert. He's what <laughs> you wanted Robert Woodard to be. What Robert Woodard will be. He's <laughs> this isn't over, Bryant. Um, <laughs> any final thoughts? On Tar Eason before we move on to Jalen Duran here. Go watch him. He's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. And he played some 
good teams where you can maybe watch a couple prospects at once. Um, okay. Jalen Duran's going to be a more complicated fit. He's a big. Like I said, I thought Eason was a big going into it. To me, I'm like, okay, no, he has big skills, but he has wing and forward skills a lot as well. Um, Jalen Duran, I don't think there's really two ways about it. Like, to me, he's a center. Um, right, there's no, is there any... Maybe he's a four. No? No, no. That, okay, just making sure. Yeah. Making sure. I, I, I thought so. Just making sure. I mean, he he's not necessarily a center who can't play with another center, but that center that he's playing with has to be very specifically constructed. And uh, It has to yeah. be the guy that we all say, like, Sabonis needs. They both yeah, need exactly. the same big next to them. Like, being blunt, they're a shit fit. Jalen Dern is a bad fit with the Kings. And the only way I like see it becoming a thing is if they the Kings just absolutely believe in his upside, which I do think is exists. Um so <laughs> uh I do think that upside absolutely exists, and after they picked Davion Mitchell last year, I'm genuinely not going to just discredit anything. I will never again just like not put a bunch of research into a guy because I'm like, why the hell would they ever do this? It doesn't make any sense. At this point, I put nothing past the Kings. And to me, Jalen Dern is a guy that doesn't make much sense, but you don't know because the upside is there. And I asked Monty McNair at the exit interviews to define best player available because this is something we had been talking about um, in the Slack the same day. And... Uh, to me, like Davion Mitchell, you're probably considering immediate impact. Um, we did get a Woj tweet in the middle of this, and I feel like I have to read this and react to it. Bryant just sent it to me. Anybody watching on YouTube, Bryant had an amazing reaction on his face. I was like, holy shit, what oh, happened? It wasn't Woj. the Woj one that got that reaction. Oh, God. Okay, I'm going to read the Woj one first. Uh, ESPN yes. sources, the Sacramento Kings have secured permission to interview several assistants for their head coach job including Golden State's Mike Brown, Brooklyn consultant Steve Clifford, Milwaukee's Darvin Ham and Charles Lee, and Boston's Will Hardy. I think that's the first time I've heard Will Hardy's name. Uh, it is. There. And then Sham Sharania. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. The Sacramento Kings will interview Mike D'Antoni. That's fine. Uh, and Mark Jackson uh, for their head coaching job, among other among over a handful of total candidates, sources tell me, and Sam Amick. Shout out Sam. Kings have done background on vast majority of available coaches and narrowed to a small group. I don't know that a D'Antoni, I, I certainly didn't expect. I, I thought that it would just be talked about by like us in conversation and like <laughs> hypothetical. I don't know that I expected to see Shams or Woj dropping D'Antoni's name attached to the Kings. Yeah, but we won't um, get too into it. I just wanted to no. read and react. I couldn't not um, and pretend like it wasn't there. A woe tweet about the Kings. I have to. Why isn't Kenny Atkinson's name in that woe tweet? I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. That's um, a really good list, aside from uh, Mark Jackson. But you know, which why isn't Kenny Atkinson there, dude? I, I would be so shocked. I wouldn't understand if if anybody wants to real quick. I guess tiny little tangent. If you want to understand like why Mark Jackson is just not the right coaching hire, despite him being successful 
during the time he was within Golden State when, by the way, he had two of the best shooters of all time. We just didn't quite realize it yet. And he did, to be fair. Mark Jackson told everybody, I have the best shooting backcourt of all time, and nobody believed him. I think Mark Jackson is good at motivating people. I think he'll go to extremes to motivate people to the point where he's making shit up. If you look up Mark Jackson stories, there are so many out there. Uh, I've asked around a little bit to like try to confirm shit, and I don't I don't have confirmations on any specific stories, but definitely like a oh yeah no I hear a lot of stories too, and I'll just say like Vivek was part of Golden State staff. There's stories directly between Harrison Barnes and Mark Jackson, which. Who knows the validity of that? But, like, there were many people that if this stuff is true about Mark Jackson, that he's doing all this extra over-the-top stuff behind the scenes, so many members of the Sacramento Kings were directly witnessing that. I would be shocked if Mark Jackson was hired. It kind of feels like Mark Jackson's name is thrown in absolutely everything. And, like, Woj and his agent are just (laughs) on good terms. (laughs) Uh, the fact that it says will interview Mark Jackson makes me uh, – I was really enjoying that list until we got to that. Ugh. Tough Ugh. one. Tough Ruined one. All right. Day. Well, All right. I know we Sorry, have – yeah. Then. No, you're good. I'm, I, yeah. I want to dive more into that. But we do have Jalen During. Yeah. Oh, I was going to play this Monty clip. Let's do this first. I was segueing into this. I asked McNair what best player available means to him, which I saw some people uh, saying they think it's a stupid question. It's not, you know, he's like, obviously, just the best player. Like, it's how much is a factor of immediate contributions compared to what is going to be their absolute best uh, um, uh, long-term potential ceiling outcome. So, Here's McNair, and, and he references Davion Mitchell in it because part of my question was you, you mentioned that you thought Davion was the best player available last year, and what does that mean? So here's Monty McNair. Yeah, I think for us, the, the draft is um, one of the few times that you can add, you know, usually a, a younger player, right? Often guys, when they reach free agency, um, you know, they're, they're multiple years into their career. Um, and so, you know, somebody like Davion, um, already an impactful winning player, and then uh, the work ethic, the character, all that to continue to grow. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's, you know, we want a guy who's going to impact from day one and, and hopefully for years and years to come. Um, so, you know, it's hard to give maybe a very specific answer there, but yeah, we want the player that's going to come in and, um, you know, and help us, uh, you know, not just for one year or not just five years from now. So, uh, best player for us is, is the guy that's going to do that regardless of, position and and different things like that what stands out there Bryant because to me it's uh we can't take a project oh shit I shouldn't have said that um well (laughs) (laughs) you know anybody like long term it's not just your one that matters um I mean the, the the backtrack there does stand out to me um you when you when you first got that quote and you said that over to me I was immediately like, ah, oh, well, they're not taking AJ Griffin. <laughs> um, I, I do think that it also kind of speaks to um, Jalen Duran is a project player. So it, 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 it's hard for me to see 
them thinking, oh, this dude will contribute from day one. But I want to go have a, a different conversation about best player available versus fit. Because I think so often that conversation immediately gets backtracked to, well, there's never a point where you should take um, uh, worry about fit when it comes to drafting. You should always think about best player available. And, you know, you and I subscribe to tier drafting. Um, I will never, ever argue for somebody to be drafted over a higher tier player, regardless of fit. That's how bad picks are made. But I am, I don't like hearing Monty's just going to pick best player available as the end all discussion point for how this team should move forward. Because if the only thing that Monty McNair's McNair is going to do is literally list out a entire big board and not worry about tiers for fit conversations, he can't have another Davion Mitchell this year. He can't have another dude who, even if he's ready to contribute immediately, doesn't have a natural playing fit on this team, doesn't have an immediate way to impact this team and earn minutes. And while it's easier to see now why Davion was the pick last year because Tyrese Halliburton got traded halfway through the season and now there's an opening at the guard position, you're going to tell me that the Sacramento Kings are going to draft a mid to low post center and trade Sabonis? Is that the conversation we're having? So, Brian, I'm with you, but you can take those exact words last offseason and be like, so you're going to tell me they're going to draft a guard and trade Tyrese? Are we really having that conversation? <laughs> Because we shouldn't, but we kind of have to. It like if if he trades Sabonis this year, it will definitely be even more surprising than it would. him trading Halliburton last year. It would yeah. absolutely. I, I'm with you. I'm kind of just tongue in cheek, you know. Um, okay, I get so your get point. Into- it's a it's a it's a funny point. And there is an aspect of like, just if you believe that that is the best player available which again part of why i asked this question because i don't know what best player available means everybody has none of us have like different definition it's sometimes it's a little bit of a cop-out answer to just be like he was our he was the best player left on our board like why why (laughs) um oh look uh your buddy james ham just confirmed kings will begin virtual interviews with coaching candidates next week confirm the initial list includes mark jackson Steve Clifford, Mike D'Antoni, Mike Brown, Charles Lee, Darvin Ham, and Will Hardy. In-person Damn meetings James. expected after the first round of Zoom interviews. Calling James right after this. Absolutely. <laughs> Could have left it out. Jeez. Um, <laughs> I love that this dropped in the middle of it. Yeah. You don't get Woj and Shams tweets all too often. When you get a Wait. notification on your phone, it says Sacramento somewhere. I start to freak out a little bit. Last time... My best friend got traded, so I don't know what the hell's going on here. <laughs> um, um, but I can begin the, um, if you don't mind, I'll begin the uh, Jalen yep. Duran conversation about this because while it's easy for me to sit here and be like, I don't see the immediate role for him next year, I don't want to pretend that there's not some fit here or that there's not 
upside here to where I wouldn't see the argument for him as a best player available because like he's listed in the top eight of any experts big board for a reason. Um, this dude is 6'11", 7'5", wingspan, 250 pounds. 7'5". Seven 7'5", five. Seven five wingspan, 250 pounds, 18 years old on draft day. Um, fully elite, no hesitation in saying that, NBA athleticism across the board. Explosiveness, power, strength, foot speed, you name it, he's got it. Plays with a rare level of tenacity and power, even among the recent crop of power bigs. Um, and he is just as dynamic a rim protector as you could possibly ask for. Um, I, he has absolutely no regard for his or any human's life when it comes to protecting the rim or even the laws of physics. 2.1 blocks per game, 3.2 stocks per 36, 9.9% block rate, which off the top of my head, I can't think of another dude who got that high aside from maybe Chet. So um, his intersection of athleticism and length just makes him able to swat shots that a very small selection of NBA bigs could get to. So uh, like you're telling me the Kings, one of the Kings biggest needs is for a rim protector. Hey, that fits on paper. Little Both else does that <laughs> little else does, but Hey, if you're going to tell me this 18 year old built like Adonis is a great rim protector and maybe the best player available at pick seven, if the Kings take him, I'll understand it and I'll be excited for it. I just won't understand the full complexity of the fit, given that this is a team that has a very clear expectation next year and just used their uh, best trade asset, their only pick on a dude who has otherwise complicated fit with Sabonis. So, you know, what's going to be funny is that we're going to totally end up in a position where the Sacramento Kings are sitting there, let's say pick nine, because apparently I'm just laying out a doomsday scenario and we're looking at who's left on the board and it's just going to be like, oh my God, Jalen Duran's the only guy left in this tier. <laughs> like, if we fall to pick nine, maybe pick seven's going to be if if they're in six or eight. I mean, it's a it's a Keegan Murray, um, yeah, Benedict Nathrin, Tari Eason is going to be in that tier for me. Um, it's easy so. for me if I prepare myself for the worst case, and then <laughs> I can only be impressed and happy from that point. Um, the, the worst case scenario is Ty Ty Washington. Forget it. There it is. Already. Yeah. Next episode, Ty Ty Washington. <laughs> uh, um, okay, to get a little bit further into Dern, because I do think, yeah, I mean, like you said, one of, if not the youngest guy that's going to go, at very least, in the first round. Um, and there is a rim-running, athletic as heck, rim protector, who is also, I think, a really good... I don't know that I'm going to elite. I think it's potential to be elite, but a really, really good pick and roll roll man. Um, and didn't do too much of it at Memphis. That was in in the passing is interesting to me. Like I'm very intrigued by the short roll passing. That's also admittedly like just nothing gets me going more than short roll passes. (laughs) I don't know what it is in basketball. It's just, I love it. Big Sabonis guy. Um, 
So I see the potential, but at the same time, like the floor, well, that's a player that I think is very valuable to winning basketball financially and just what the league values right now. It's not the most valuable when you're talking that floor. But again, this is an 18 year old where you see how it becomes more than that. Right. Yeah. Um, what are, what are the skills that stand out to you um, of, okay, this, if this works, then this is how he become he's a different tier of a player. Uh, there is a chance that he becomes one of the most dangerous vertical spacers, pick and roll spacers in the league. Um, if his, if his shot comes around at all, where that pick and roll becomes pick and pop, that's just more versatility. Um, you know, do, it, do, you it, believe, it, do you believe in a pick and pop at all? He shot one three yeah, all year. Yeah. He he had such a it. yeah. Um, let me get to those numbers. He, he is a non-shooter right now, um, outside of sixty-two point five percent from the free throw line. Um, he had a couple solid touch on jumpers in and just outside of the paint, but there is no volume to speak of. He went eight of twenty-two on half-court jumpers. None of them were threes. Um, I could hear the argument that his mechanics on those rare jumpers, like especially later in the year, um, his conference tournament games were more showcases of this. Uh, his mechanics don't look bad. I just wouldn't expect much until his team makes it a developmental priority. That said, he's just 18. So it's not a terrible spot to start at. It's certainly not, and that's a big aspect of Duran and, and talking yourself into his upside and being a top ten guy. Like Vassini has him in in his top ten on on the latest big board that he did. By the way, this is Will Griffith's gra- draft crush. Shout out to Will, my barber. By the way, anybody needs a haircut, hit up Will. Um, Will Will is Will has been rolling his eyes the last ten minutes of this conversation. Because his only his point about uh, Duran is, who the heck are we to pretend we have any understanding of uh, what Monty McNair values in a player? Yeah, Will kind of. Uh, I talked to him about it the other day, and it was very much like a. From my understanding, started saying it as a joke because what the hell they picked Davion? Like, who am I to say they're not going to pick J- Dalen Dur- Jalen Duran? Monty continues to do the shit that we expect him not to do. And I think some of the Kings Herald guys fighting back on that take just made him double, triple down. (laughs) I absolutely understand that mindset. I think I've done the exact same thing. I think I've hung on to Robert Woodard a lot longer than I would have if you guys weren't attacking me about it all the time. But I have to, to defend my pride, you know? Uh, um, So I get, yeah, I don't know that I can talk myself like into the shooting for Duran, right? It's one of those difficult things for me. The passing, you see flashes. Like, I don't see... I, The handle didn't no. stand out. His, there's no handle. Like, Yeah. His passing whole, is a lot better than his handle. Yes. Like, I... For Tari Eason, and again, what, there's a two-year difference between them? Um, at least. Yes. Again, Duran, uh, one of I think it's, the youngest guy in the draft class. I think it's two and a half because okay. uh, Duran's still going to be 18 by the draft. Tari's going to turn 21 right before the draft. Yeah. 
But to me, like when we're talking Durant upside, I get the hypothetical because he's this very young player who is extremely athletic. And just like that molding block of clay, getting the chance to work with that and make it into whatever a team views to be the best possible outcome. Like I, I get why that's intriguing, but to me, there's not enough flashes of other skills to where I'm like, okay, no, if that just clicks and happens more often, like the shooting, for example, he does this like, yeah, a little fadeaway, I guess, but it doesn't, I don't know. Those, I don't know what it is. Mid range fadeaways. Maybe I'm showing my youth here. Those don't do anything for me anymore. To be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, you know, you know, do you, do you get what I'm saying there? And did you feel the same way? Like, I just don't know that I see very many flashes of Duran where I'm like, okay, where is the star upside? It doesn't have, it doesn't have to be there, but I feel like sometimes he's talked about that way. I, I, I don't see the star upside in him, but I do want to emphasize that it's hard for me to ding him too much because Memphis was just such a messy team this year. Like I don't want to trash the Tigers because they were a young team. They really started to get it late together later in the year. Um, and they did go like 22 and 11, which was third in their conference, uh, had two good wins against Houston, won an NCAA tournament game, uh, kept it pretty dang close with Gonzaga. But like this team just wasn't the best situation for evaluating talent. Penny Hardaway, didn't have a true playmaker this year. And it really showed um, they ended up like 26th in the nation for assists. And they were top third in the country for pace and top third of all teams. Uh, but they were also eighth in the nation for turnovers per game. And a lack of a true floor general really did kind of limit what they were doing with Duran outside of transition and ball scrapes. Um, and considering that literally a fourth of all of his offense was post-ups, you know that NBA teams are going to be drafting him based on everything else that he shows in his game uh, rather than what he was utilized at Memphis. So he's a he's a more complicated evaluation to me than Tari Eason because a lot of what Tari did at LSU is stuff that teams want to see, shooting off the dribble, driving to the basket, flashing handles. Meanwhile, literally 25% of Jalen Duran's offense was post-up plays. So I don't know. I think there's just so much low-hanging fruit, none of which leads me to think he's going to be a star on offense. The one that I did here um, was, or an example of a player being asked to play a certain role at college that is just not the best scenario that's going to display what they're capable of at the NBA level, because it's just different was Isaiah Stewart of Washington. They just really him up nonstop, nonstop. And I was like, I guess like the touch is interesting. If big men having a good touch, I think is very important. That's one of the things that may be a little skeptical of Tari Eason, uh, but again, more like wing forward type when um, Jalen Duran, absolute big man, 70.9% 70.9% around the rim on non-post-ups, which is 93rd percentile. Like, his prototype has to be good at that, and he is. Um, but, you know, there are examples, right, of guys, and I, I was initially going to ask you if you can think of examples, but for some reason yes. it popped into my head at the same I time. Can. Is there others outside of Isaiah Stewart? 
Um, I think the NBA as a whole has gotten pretty good with being patient on project bigs. Um, if you look back at the last couple of years, sometimes like good teams won't they, be patient. They were patient with Willie Collins. <laughs> he, uh, Jalen Duran's going to come and seize the throne that Willie Collins Stein scoffed at. Like that's he's the dude that we thought we were getting when they drafted Willie Collins Stein. Um, but like the the two first names that come to mind are James Wiseman and Jalen Smith, and those are two instances of good teams overvaluing project bigs and not being patient enough for them. But otherwise, like the list when it comes to later lottery or all the way down to the twenties is pretty good. Um, Isaiah Stewart's a really good one. Uh, Pokashevsky's another one. Precious Ochua's doing good things in Toronto. Um, it doesn't mean they got immediate playing time. Like Stewart's the only dude on that list who got serious minutes his rookie year. Uh, Isaiah Jackson didn't get that much playing time even for Indiana this year. Kai Jones. Uh, Kai Jones. Well, no, Indiana is like a bottom four team. And yet, I mean, uh, he, Isaiah, Isaiah Stewart, he's allowed yeah. to play through his mistakes on that yes. team. Uh, Indiana didn't want to do that. Uh, Charlotte sure didn't do that with Kai Jones. I think Kai Jones got like 26 minutes this year. Um, but, you know, these are this is what teams do with Project Bigs now. Hey, come in. Just know that you're going to sit there for a year or two of practice, and then we'll see what you can be. Um, and And that staple of how teams have handled these kind of energy project bigs in the last couple of years makes me think that's what is going to happen with Jalen Durham. And just, can you see Monty McNair doing that? I, I don't know that I can like see Monty McNair doing anything. I think that just <laughs> whatever the hell happens at this point, he shocks me every turn. Um, there's no, Jalen Turn that the Kings take right like I I mean I said the same thing about Davion <laughs> Just, Mitchell I can't tell you how like I, I don't know that I've the last time I was so genuinely shocked by something than when that tweet popped up and it's just like no, no, no they're, they're trading it like what is this like and you weren't live was, on the radio I forgot about that yes <laughs> shout and out to our buddies Zelo and Casey second, Yes, there's a slight delay when I'm watching, obviously, compared to when I see the tweet. And when I get to watch you react to it, that was phenomenal. I forgot that happened. Um, yeah, shout out 13, ESPN 1320, D-Lone, KC. Obviously, great guys. I tried to think of, uh, you know, we didn't do this for Tari Eason, a, a comp. And again, I feel like I have to say this every time because people will take it too literally. There's oh. issues with comps in every which way I, but I do think there's value in trying to explain what sort of just contextualizing a, a player. And like, I'll, I'm going to say Clint Capella is a guy that stood out to That's me a good one. for Jalen Duran. When you're talking about, okay, who is a guy that really is just a rim runner, but very valuable by just being elite at those skills of protecting the rim being a really good role man in the pick and roll and great in transition running the floor. And Clint Capella is the one that stands out to me like their, their different athleticism and fluidity. But when I'm trying to think of, okay, what is a low end? What's an outcome where he doesn't have some outlier growth in a skill that maybe I didn't see flashes for that I believe in. 
but instead he just becomes borderline elite at what we already view him as. And to me, it's a Clint Capella caliber player, which the Kings very much, well, it doesn't make sense with Sabonis anymore, but yeah. Unless, unless the shoot, unless he suddenly comes around and is a, a, a really good floor spacer, the fits just really weird. Um, I like the Compella uh, comparison. That's a really good one. Um, I think you just have to look back a couple years t- to what the Kings were trying to do with Willie Cauley-Stein on both ends of the court. That's what Jalen Duren's going to be. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that he's an Evan Mobley type perimeter defender. Um, I think he had really good games. That Gonzaga game kind of sticks out when he got swapped onto Andrew Nemhart and, and handled him really well. Um, but, you know, that kind of super versatile defender who's also a really good rim protector and then a pick and roll big man who can really space the floor on lob passes. I think that's his both his floor and uh, being a capable starter with that skill set is his realistic outcome to me. Yeah, which uh, I, I think, yeah, the Capella thing was, I think, somewhat eye-opening for me because, again, I was like, you know, I, I really value these skills, but it just doesn't seem like there's very many players in the league that are valued by just doing those things. And I'm like, oh, no, okay, Capella is that guy. And... Yeah, I don't. I'm not somebody that's like, oh, Capella's overpaid or anything like that. You know, I think when he was in Houston, there were questions, but they just didn't use their bigs enough and things like that. Super important aspect of a Atlanta team that is built similarly in the way that they're a good, they're built to be a damn good offense and just a good enough defense, just not shit. And Clint Capella is the reason that they weren't absolute trash on defense. I know they still were pretty rough. And I will say, obviously, Onyeka Okongwu became an aspect of that as well. I felt like I was like getting told Onyeka Okongwu through your eyes right there when I didn't mention it. <laughs> um, bigger, so, a b- bigger Onyeka. Yeah, with so with Jaylen way less shooting upside. For sure, for sure. I mean, I'm taking Onyeka for sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, Jalen Dern doesn't make much sense. But I think it's important to understand the entire layout of a draft, no matter. Because if you are sitting at a pick and based on the big board that, that you made, and I think it's important to make a Kings-centric one, but then also just a general big board based on how you view the talent level of each one of these guys. Because, again, reaching through tiers is where I maybe have an issue, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you're sitting there and, and Jalen Duran is just to you and probably – Ideally, you know Intel around with some of the other teams that Jalen Dern is also highly valued, and you understand the way you're able to like make that argument. It's it's good to have that understanding to then go out and know how to capitalize on on trade situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do think it's important to know all this stuff, even though he's one of the guys that just straight up doesn't make any sense next to uh, Demontis Sabonis. You know, even Davion Mitchell, like, I talked myself into it by the end of the day, probably. I think, I don't know, maybe not the end of the day. It's probably <laughs> a little too much. But you can talk yourself into it. Like, I don't even know how you would talk yourself into Durin. Um, so I, I had that little, I guess, dropped an okay comp for Durin a couple. Did you have anything for Tari Eason? Like, I genuinely didn't know. 
I think I could have put more time into it and maybe come up with something, but there's nothing that stood out. No, nobody that really stood out that was like a anywhere we- realistic. Um, he, he, he's really kind of a unique player in terms of his uh, havoc defense from a four. Is he like a discount Isaac Okoro? <laughs> <laughs> a discount Isaac Okoro. I think he's a slightly bigger Isaac Okoro with more shooting promise. For sure. It, it's offensively like, you know, Okoro, better passer and, and an elite yes. finisher. Yeah. To where it's like, okay, the handle is intriguing because when you are driving in, if you get to the rim, you're probably going to finish it. And you're going to make a really good decision with the ball. Eason has promising passing, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I'm reaching here, Brian. I'm, I can't think of something for Tari Eason. No, me neither. I'm trying is to look at this. List. A, does that like scare you away at all? Like no. if you're ever like, I can't think of a prototype. No, I, I don't uh, give a shit when it's top guys, like a Chet Holmgren. I don't care that I can't think of a comp for this guy that is just an absolute it, controlling the game on, on both ends of the floor. But like, middle of the lottery do you start to be like ah i don't know there's nobody like this that's worked before not really because my love of uh comparisons ended when i realized that nba draft.net was skewing my vision of of how to compare players um it's more just skill set like tari easton clearly does something on the defensive end that the kings really need and has enough offensive versatility to where I'm concerned, but not overly worried about the the floor versus ceiling outcome. So, yeah, we're gonna dive more into guys. So I'm at a point where I'm not locking in any takes. So I won't force you to do that either. Hey. But do you think it sounds like this is a yes? But just to get a hard answer from you, do you think Tari Eason's gonna be somebody that to you is like seriously in the conversation if the Kings say? stick at seven or fall to eight. I think both of these guys will be in the tier that overlaps where the Kings will end up drafting if it's seven to nine. Um, and I understand the case for either of them, but in terms of since I'm going to have them on the same tier, like I see their defensive upside being very similar. Durans is probably higher because he's bigger and, and more explosive, but also the offensive upside is is in my mind more limited for Duran. So I think I'll have them both in the same tier. And yeah, I Tari Eason's going to be a likely favorite for me in two months. But hey, check back with me in two months. Maybe we'll have watched so many guys that'll be like, oh, I can't even think about Tari Eason anymore. I'm suddenly yeah. in love with Jeremy Sochan. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, another guy where I have to admit, like, I'm probably a little late to get a really good understanding of these guys. Like, there's a handful of, I mean, prior to a week and a half, two weeks ago, like, I thought I had a, like, very basic idea of who Tari Eason was. And I knew right when I started, I'm like, oh, I was, I have no, I had no clue what this guy was. Not a big, he's like a forward wing type skill set. Yeah, I think this is going to be, I don't know. It's, it's always fun. I love doing draft stuff. I'm glad that we're here. Um, I am, you know, going to 
tentatively say, like, I, I think Tari Eason's probably going to be in that conversation for me too, but I'm very much being a baby and not wanting to, <laughs> avoiding every way possible to lock in any takes at this point. And I think that I'm, I'm noticing gonna... that, like, at some point, like, I have to lock in takes about guys that we're talking about when we're going into full profiles, but I'm avoiding it as long as I can until I have, like, 15 guys, you know, because it's yeah. all contextualized. Um, do you have... I, I have two in mind that I'd like to do next. I want to run by you, see what you think. You so go. I, I, think I, I picked these two. I picked the two. I think we it works that about. we did like Chet Jabari. We do very top prospects. And then we do Taris and Jalen Duran, two guys that are still lottery prospects, but not at the very top. And then kind of we alternate back and forth, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, I really am interested in getting to know Johnny Davis better. Okay. Somebody that I, I know that like, I think it's outlier people, but like Matt Penny, for example, who does the game theory pod with um, Sam Vecini, which Vecini's freaking phenomenal work, of course. Anybody not reading Vecini, I don't know what you're doing. If I don't know a prospect, the very first thing I'm doing is do, diving into what has Vecini said about him to give me a basic idea. Um, but I know Matt Penny is like a Johnny Davis, like borderline. True. I don't know exactly where it was. Yeah, like five, six. Like I see Devin Booker, like um and don't i don't take that as a direct quote from him or nothing i've just heard a combination of both those things but i know there's people that's really high on johnny davis i don't have a great understanding of him and i think that we can pair him in with Jaden ivy that sounds good sorry um, right? yeah that's a good parent all right and mark jackson obviously will be a part <laughs> of the conversation of course uh, we're yeah. having such a good day and then Shams just had to ruin it. And then James Tari just had Eason. to drive the stake into my heart. Yeah. How dare he? How dare he? We have to go from Tari Eason to Mark Jackson. What are they doing to us? It's like the Mark Jackson our brand. Would, Mark Jackson would come in and have Tari Eason glued to the bench until uh, the right coach came in and was like, hey, he's a defensive player of the year candidate. Mm. Where have we heard that story is, is that Tom Thibodeau's somehow going to become a thing? And the next thing we know, like, Taj Gibson is starting next to DeMontis Sabonis. Just fully preparing myself for I will say, expected. if Tari Eason lasts to New York, he's the most Tibbs prospect I can think of. Oh, my God, he is. He's kind of He kind of is like a, a new-age Taj Gibson. <laughs> he is. He is. Yeah, there we go. We figured it out. Like, I don't know how to take that. Taj Gibson I think would it's really... A compliment. Todd Gibson was one of the best defenders on those Chicago teams. It was. You're very, you're very right. Um, he's just a very outdated skill set, to be honest. Like Tari Eason is a. I can't think of a good one. I'll say it anyway. It's a total joke. Like a modern Greg Monroe. Like. Oh God. It's not right I at know. all. I just try to think of some other outdated play style. Yeah, a Marvin Bagley. Um. <laughs> all right. They're closer. Yeah, um, <laughs> Bryant, Bryant West, any final thoughts from the draft expert? <laughs> Armchair scout. Um, yeah, go watch these dudes. They're fun. Uh, Tari Eason is uh, an absolute insane man on the basketball court, and uh, Jalen Duren was very aware that he was the biggest, strongest dude that he'd ever match up with in college. Um, I mean, if you want to see insanity – Go watch Gonzaga Memphis because uh, 
Jalen Duran was just absolutely determined to posterize Chet Holmgren, and it didn't work. It worked one time, and Twitter decided that that was the end of Chet Holmgren as an elite prospect, but nobody else highlighted the other, like, five times when Chet Holmgren just stymied him. Like the play before, like, literally, like, um, within the minute beforehand when Chet blocked him. That's one thing, I guess, like, real quick on on Duran. Like, he has great athleticism. I think he still has to get better at using that strength and athleticism. Um, not necessarily yeah. bad at it or avoiding it or anything, but it's like, holy crap, you're a ridiculous athlete. You could use that a little bit more. Um, Bryant, that's all I got, man. Um, I appreciate you coming on. Do you have a rough idea when we're getting a legendary uh, draft profile <laughs> from you? Not until after the lottery, for sure. Gotcha. But it's in progress, and in every one of these uh, podcasts helps me frame it more and more. So, Jalen Duran, first profile on the way, clearly. All right. <laughs> I'm gonna, well, I'm going to make you do the uh, Shaden Sharp profile. I know you said that shit. That sounds horrible, dude. Like, I think I'm going to like end up talking myself into Sharp or something. But like, it's just I'm sure you will tape. I'm uh, sure you will. We're going to get – you already know who I'm talking about, but I don't want to throw out names and promise something that doesn't actually end up happening. But definitely have someone in mind that's just going to come on and be the guest that can just talk about Sharp because and, yeah, save me a little bit of research, which would be much, much appreciated. All right. Well, eventually – there will be a profile from Bryant and eventually from myself at some point here. I'm probably yeah. on the same timeline as you, um, if not later. And currently there's season profiles up on the Kings Herald going through that whole cycle and, you know, going to be updating anything that goes on with this coaching search. And when Mark <laughs> Greg Jackson already is has hired. A piece out. In yeah. the span of us doing one podcast. Uh, oh, no, sorry. Akis uh, posted a uh, whole report on it. So Yeah. Yeah. They were... Yes, we're definitely getting messages in the middle of this, and it was kind of a funny process, not going to lie. But great work, as usual, year-round going on at the King's Herald from all the great guys and gals there, myself and Bryant included. So definitely take a look at the site and the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. And if you enjoyed this episode of the King's Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review, and you'll hear from us again in the next couple of days.